So when I was savvy enough to know that I could move the chair to the sink and just dump that and not have to do that, I did do that. And I, I got in big trouble. <laughs> did you only do it once? Oh, yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'll dare do that again. You guys are so good to each other. I would just hold my nose and goes down it. No, you needed three. You needed more than two hands because you had the cup. You can't plug your nose and then grab the cereal bowl. So you had to have the cereal bowl, like the cereal in your hand whilst drinking it. As we're entering menopause, we become yin deficient. And yin is responsible for all fluids in the body and blood is a fluid. And so that's exactly what menopause is, the drying up of yin. So our menses stop. We might start getting dry eyes. Like you say, the skin dries out and then we have some skin problems. So when we have a deficiency, that's exactly that gas tank. The gas tank is empty. So where do you have the fuel to be able to do this intense exercise or the to-do list is 20 feet high? We don't have the stamina to plow through that. Welcome to Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie Podcast. Your host, Patricia Peterson, has conversations with BIPOC folks about life, shares wisdom, and discusses their experience with topics like growing up in an immigrant family, racism, and the sense of belonging. In this podcast, we give voice to people of color and learn more about their lives. So join your Chinese auntie as she has compelling conversations with fascinating people. Without any further ado, let's dive headfirst into this episode. My guest today is Dr. Debbie Lee. Debbie is a registered doctor of traditional Chinese medicine. She is a mama to two adorable little humans, and she is one of my closest friends with whom I can talk about my feelings and emotions. Debbie and I have been friends for 18 years. We went to Chinese medicine school together. One of our teachers from China thought we were sisters, and she could never tell us apart. We share a love for food and chai tea. In this episode, we talk about our Chinese mothers who used to make us drink herbal decoctions. We also discuss herbal medicine, how COVID affected the businesses in Chinatown, especially the herbal stores, how to strengthen your body with the upcoming allergy season, and what one can do as we enter menopause. In this episode, you will hear us say a few terms, tea and tea. TNT Supermarkets is a Canadian supermarket chain that sells primarily Asian foods. We also use the term qi, which means vital energy that circulates in the body. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Debbie. Hello, Patricia. How's it going? It's going good. And you came back from vacation and <laughs> you dodged a really cold, icy weather. Or did you come back at that time? I came back on the Saturday. So it was minus 10 or 12 that day, but it wasn't snowy or icy. It was just really cold. Yeah. And that snowed. Yeah. I know you and I are like, nope. No. Our South Asian blood does not like this weather. <laughs> yeah, but you grew up back east though. I did. 
So I did grow up with it and I still don't think I liked the weather, but I've had exposure to it and I'm very used to having one to three feet of snow all winter long. Uh, so please introduce yourself, who you are, what you're doing. Uh, my name is Debbie Lee. I am a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. I am a mom of two young kids, and I've been in practice for 15 years now. I'm in my 15th year. Yeah. I was thinking the other day, you and I have known each other for 20 years. Yeah. Yep. 2005. That's when we started yeah. school. Started school. And they, yeah, so you and I met in Chinese medicine school. Yes. That was good. We did good. We made it. <laughs> we made it through safely and it was crazy. Because you did the five-year program too. I did. Yeah, we still did the five-year schooling together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those were long years. I remember just long. plowing through. Yeah. And I was working two jobs you when were, I was in I school. That. But that was very tiring. What did I you think, do before that? I think we were both the same. I think we both had to work and go to school because we were supporting ourselves through oh. that journey. Before that, when I graduated from university with a kinesiology degree, I somehow landed myself in IT as a career for, I think I did it for about five or six years until I realized that I did not want to be in that kind of career or job setting. I had gone and enrolled in a kinesiology degree with the intention of working in the healthcare field, but I didn't know what to what I wanted to do after I graduated. I thought about chiropractic college. I thought about RMT college. I just had wasn't a hundred percent in to any of those decisions. So I worked because I needed to work. And that's where I found myself in my early 20s. And then it wasn't until I was like 28 when I was really having a hard time with the whole IT stint. So I had been thinking about Chinese medicine for a long while prior to enrolling. And when I was ready, that's when I enrolled. How did you come to like Chinese medicine physician, were you still an acupuncturist? No, I had a lot of influence growing up in a traditional Chinese medicine household. Both of my parents are from China. My mom was born, both of them were born and raised in China. And then when my mom was really young, she moved to Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, they're really about the soups and... Like food, the food therapy, the food diet, according to Chinese medicine or Chinese culture, which is really Chinese medicine. So we grew up with a lot of that influence. We always have to, had to drink a soup after dinner, always. And that soup, now that I know what she puts in it, they were filled with tonics. They were filled with chi tonics, blood tonics, mm-hmm. yang tonics. They were filled with lung support during the cold and flu season, also to help support our menstrual cycles. They had a lot of that support. 
So she always made us drink soup and the it would always be save room for soup. So no matter how much you ate dinner, you always had to make sure you saved room for soup. So we drank soup every day. So that was my exposure. And then when we were sick, she would make her other cocktails for cold and flu or stomach bug. So we grew up just drinking pretty much what would be raw decoctions. So that was that exposure. My dad used to teach Tai Chi at the church. So we had a lot of exposure with the concept of Taoism and what martial art looks like and what it does. He taught my mom. He tried to teach us, but we were too young to learn. (laughs) So unfortunately, none of the kids know how to do Tai Chi, just my mom and dad. And then my sister, one of my sisters went to chiropractic college in the States, and she did acupuncture as one of her electives. And growing up, we all played a lot of sports. So we were laden with sports injuries. And I just remember one time I hurt my shoulder playing volleyball and she acupunctured it. I was so scared of the needles. She did four needles just on the rotator cuff. And it, I was probably 16. And it, I couldn't believe how much it helped. Wow. And I always remember that. And so... I went into a kinesiology program with the intent, like I said, of doing something health related, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to, I really wanted to make sure when I went back to school, that was what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to go to school and then quit and do something else or do it and then have to go back to school again. So that's how come I worked after. So that was all of that pointed, like, that's why I always had Chinese medicine in the back of my head because it all clicked with my my path. And then it wasn't until, like I said, I was 28 was when it all made sense that I went back to school for Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And you're one of what, six kids? Five. Five. And I'm you're the, the youngest. You're the youngest. So then your sister would have been older when you... Yeah. So she's seven years older. So she was one of the main reasons why I wanted to go into healthcare because of that exposure into the complementary health or oh. the alternative health. So seeing, learning about that at a young age through her studies and becoming a chiropractor. And we all played a lot of sports, so we were very active that way. So it just made sense for me to follow that path for myself. Do you make the soups for your kids? I I cheat and I do a lot of her herbal tinctures. <laughs> the problem with the soups is that it stinks. It's true. The raw decoction is like... I do make them, but I wouldn't say I do them often. They also take a lot of time, which I don't have. Yeah, Fortunately, don't. pediatric tinctures are glycerin-based, so they're very safe. It's not super customized, but it's better than nothing. So both of our husbands are white. Will mm-hmm. your husband drink it if you make soup? Mine is not a big fan. And the soups, maybe not so much, but the formulas, yes. So they come in like a patent formula as comes in the capsule. So those mm-hmm. are the easiest. I do have granules. Those ones taste the worst. Still do it. <laughs> they're also, I find, the strongest if you're not decocting. And then yeah. there are tinctures, which are the easiest to administer 
I don't find them as strong as the granules, but I think when you, we've been introducing it for so long that now it's no, it's part of the norm. Yeah. And I also find in Vancouver, a lot of the herbal store have shut down. So it's really hard to find the raw right. herbs. Yeah. I don't have a herbal pharmacy in my clinic yet due to space, but I'm just starting my research on how to make that happen and how I can build one in the current space that I have, if possible. And I, and so that would mean outsourcing raw herbs and how does that look like in my practice? I like the option of being able to whip up a formula right then and there because the hard part of outsourcing is you don't get it right away. Yeah. And I, I, I am excited for you to do that, to be able to have a dispensary in yeah. your space because there's not many left who are doing it. No. And I think COVID really slammed a lot of those Chinese herbal pharmacies like in Chinatown yeah. or bet you a lot of them would be in Richmond, but I don't go out that way at all. The one, the main one in Richmond that I used to go to for years, they also shut. I think there's a couple on Victoria Drive that I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I rarely do raw, on, like only for myself if that, but like I said, it takes forever. Yeah. To declock and it's takes <laughs> my kids have sharp senses of smell. <laughs> so I hear about it. <laughs> yeah. My 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 husband if I make anything like funny, he'll come up and he goes, What's that smell? Then I'll tell him, then he goes, Oh, okay. Then he's fine with it. Yeah, my husband, he does it. He if I do make something, he'll palate it, but I don't think his taste factor is as refined in terms of Chinese medicine as ours, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, traditionally, where I'm in Singapore, when my mom used to force us to drink these things, you get the plum afterwards. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's sour so plum okay. and then it's sour and sweet, right? So then yeah, we would just eat that as for fun. I remember those. We did too, but. For a while there, when we were younger, we didn't get it unless she made us drink the decoctions. Oh, oh yeah, we. I remember my mom used to make ginseng renshen once a year, and it would be really expensive. So there's five of us, so she would spend a lot of money on. Probably Siberian ginseng, and wow. it make it once a year for us to drink, and it was so bitter. And I just, I probably was like six or seven, and I remember pulling a chair up to the sink and just dumping it. And so, no, you didn't. I got in so much trouble because it's like a hundred bucks a cup. <laughs> But we and my sisters, oh man, we all, I got in big trouble for that one. But we would have an art to it. So my I have three sisters and a brother. My old my brother and my oldest sister are off to university. So it was just the two sisters and I oftentimes. So we would have ginseng, a cup of ginseng, a bowl of cereal, and the other person to hold the nose. And we it would be the art. So you plug your nose, someone plug your nose, you drink the cereal. Someone has the bowl of cereal right there. You 
grab your hand in it and shove it in your mouth to get the taste out. And we would do that every year. So when I was savvy enough to know that I could move the chair to the sink and just dump that and not have to do that, I did do that. And I got in big trouble. <laughs> did you only do it once? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll dare do that again. We- you guys are so good to each other. I just, I would just... Just hold my nose and it goes down it. No, you needed three. You needed more than two hands because you had the cup. You can't plug your nose and then grab the cereal bowl. So you had to have the cereal bowl, like the cereal in your hand whilst drinking it. And then you and it wasn't even a lot. It was like maybe half a cup or three quarters of a cup. Just shoot it down and drop the cereal in your mouth. Yeah, but you explain deficiency. So you're like the bitterness made it worse. Now that I know what I know about herbal medicine, I do. I did challenge my mom once <laughs> about the decoction that she made me. And growing up, I don't. You probably grew up very similarly. You don't challenge any no. of authority, <laughs> so I had to do it in a very non-challenging way. So I came home after moving out to Vancouver. I'd come home every year. And she always made me these tonics. And this was when I was probably in school and or finished school. So I knew a lot more about herbal medicine than I had before going in. And she made me this soup and it was all tonics. And I knew I had some stagnations and heat in my system. And so I told her, mom, I can't drink that because it's going to flare my heat. Mm. And she no, you got to drink it. It's good for you. And so you don't argue with mom. So, and she, I flew five hours to see her and she put so much effort into making the soup. So I drank it. <laughs> and then I was there for a week. And over the next couple days, few days, I start breaking out and zit. Oh, Asian moms. <laughs> Why do you, what does your face look like? You so, too much heat. You too much Why heat. do you have so many pimples? And so I was like, Mom, I told you I had I have a heat. And then I drank the soup and now it's manifesting the heat to come up. <laughs> My mom used to make those herbal decoctions in those big pots, like a cauldron with a lid. And my mom was a midwife, so she would do either the morning shift that starts at 6 a.m. or she would do starts at like noon-ish to eight. And she would make a pot of like herbal decoction that big. Wow. And then she would, she was, okay, I'm going to work now. I expect the three of you to finish this by the time I come home. You had to drink it all? Drink it all. And like you say, when you're Chinese and you're brought up by strict parents, you don't argue. For a while there, I was quite afraid of my mother. So I would like, every time I walk by it, I would do a cup. Walk by it, I would do a cup. And then I look at my siblings, they're not doing it. I'm the youngest too. And I'm like, you guys better drink this. I thought mom's going to be really upset. Nobody's drinking it. But as you get older, you learn that. Maybe we can just pour this down the drain. And just oh. oh, you did the same. You didn't get caught. I think like, black in color. And it was like, it's got twigs sticking out. And when you're like 9, 10, 11 years looking at it going, what is this thing? And then it's bitter and then it smells. Okay, now you and I have the ed- education. We like, we appreciate it now. But at that time, you're like. Yeah. And they don't tell you what it is. They just no. say drink it, right? There's no explanation. It's do this and you have to do it. You follow orders. 
I mean, uh, there's a, the, I was talking to another Chinese medicine practitioner friend the other day, and I was telling her I used to go to these herbal shops with my mom, and I would see the herbalists packing it. You know, they used to pack it in this paper. And sometimes I would see what he put in there, like insects and stuff. And as a child, you don't know, like, some of these, like, insects have good properties. Now, a lot of these are all banned, but I'm just standing there looking at the package going, oh, no, ew, she's going to make decoctions out of this and she's going to make us drink it and stuff. I wanted you to talk about how to, with Chinese medicine, to prepare for the upcoming spring season especially allergies. From an acupuncture standpoint, and if you're susceptible to allergies and you know the month of when something would bloom that you're sensitive to, like for me, it's I'm very sensitive to cherry blossoms where typically, who knows now with global warming, would bloom around April. So I normally tell people to prepare for the allergy season a month in advance, and that's just to improve circulation, decrease inflammation as best as we can. When you do that, then your immune system works a lot smoother. And so not necessarily am I boosting it particularly, but those are the methodologies that I think about in boosting it. There are lifestyle and dietary stuff that you can do. So in Chinese medicine, the spring season belongs to the liver. Qi. So in Chinese medicine, we use the names of organs to describe the qi of the meridians and how we go about diagnosing according to Chinese medicine. So the spring season is also a good time to maybe do a liver cleanse or think about cleaning out the liver. A lot of bitter foods go to the liver. There is a lot of liver cleanses out there uh, that are mainly supplements. So a lot of, I find a lot of liver herbs that Western supplement companies use are dandelion, bupleurum. Um, what else is there? Yeah. So basically a lot of those, if you were to go to like Finlandia or Whole Foods, a lot of those liver herbs are those kinds of Western herbs that also are Chinese herbs, but they're named in their Latin name. So they basically all have bitter qualities to it. Any food to avoid? Sweets. <laughs> Sugar. Sugar is a real sticky product. And so if you're trying to clean things out, imagine trying to clean out something that's sticky and has goo on it. It's really difficult to clean out. No, when you say sugar, are you talking, for the listeners, are you talking about processed sugar, white sugar? Are you also talking about like fruits, like sweet vegetables? It depends on the constitution. So everyone has a personal constitution that uh, is very unique. So some people might be okay with fruits. And then even with fruits, there's some fruits that kind of are more sticky, sticky forming than others. Like, like tropical fruits. Bananas, yes. Or bananas are very sticky as well. We call that dampness. 
Um, and so there are a lot of foods that create more dampness than other fruits. Berries are typically, I find, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like the more less sweet the fruit, like Granny Smith apples, the less damp it will form, in my opinion. Refined sugars, no one should be eating, in my opinion. <laughs> it does nothing helpful for the system. And then some people are even sensitive to like honey and maple syrup or even natural sugars. So it really depends on the constitution. For myself, I have the TCM constitution that's very sensitive to all sugars. And so my system creates dampness really quickly. So I have to really be mindful of the sweets that I eat, even including natural, naturally producing sweets. Yeah, I'm similar with you, the dampness. And my allergy season starts March and goes till June. The other thing you can do, yeah, I'm like April to June as well. There's something in June that kicked up. Cottonwood. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, there was, I don't know what it was last five years that something kicked up. The other thing you can do is you can also strengthen your lung chi, which is usually a lot of white foods in Chinese food options this is where tnt is really helpful you have the lily bulbs which you can buy dried you have water chestnuts which you can buy fresh or in the can you've got the white fungus that looks Uh like a big flower with a little bit of orange in the middle and it's usually dried there is like a lot of those like in at tnt they have those like soup mix that has a lot of the white things in it yeah wangchi which is astragalus Shanyao, which is Chinese yam, usually has those little apricot seeds, Singren, which is they're like heart-shaped little tiny ones. Those are all really good for the lungs. And so you can prep yourself by cleaning out the liver as well as strengthening the lung. And I would also say that it is important to remember this is not like a one-time thing. You got to build up to. It's true. And so I like acupuncture when you're using um, the food approach because acupuncture can help with my analogy of the system is like a car and you've got your gas tank which needs to be full all the time and that's where if it's low then we have these deficiencies or these weaknesses so the lungs are often low so then we don't have that that defense system to stave off an allergy attack or an allergy invasion. Then you have the pipes in the car, which are usually blocked. And so no matter how full the gas tank is, it will be difficult to go where it needs to go if the pipes are clogged. So that's where I find acupuncture really helpful. Mm -hmm. It's a really great way to unclog the pipes and get circulation moving to where it needs to go and even it out so that the immune system is working properly there's less inflammation. And so hopefully that builds onto that immune defense of allergy or pathogen invasion. I don't know if this works for everybody, but for me, when you talk about the blockages and the circulation, sometimes I find if I'm having a really bad allergy day, if it's not too horrible, I go for a run. It helps to move things. And not like moving moving chi, not like a super long run, but even just 20 minutes, half an hour, then I feel better for the rest of the day and I don't have to take any antihistamine. Yeah, so that's, as we get older, we're bound to have pipes clogged. That's just how we age. And we're bound to have our gas tank half empty. 
<laughs> so we would call that a deficiency with a stagnation. There are some, what happens is like when something gets stuck, there's a backup. So that does become excess, kind of like when a pipe is clogged, mm-hmm. then this there becomes this backup or buildup. So then that area becomes excess, in excess, we call it. So moving your chi is always important in general, even if everything is smooth running. And for people who have low energy, like their tank is just empty, but they still have these pipes clogged, these this chi stagnation, usually what I tell my clients is to move their chi if they can do that five minutes a day. That way you don't have to gear up, go outside for a run. So that's something that's like doing a bu- some jumping jacks or burpees. Or if you have stairs in your house, you can just go up and down a step, even one step. I had to do that when I had gestational diabetes to work off my meals. I would just go up and down a step for 10 minutes. If you do 10 minutes after every meal, that's 30 minutes a day. If that's even hard to wrap around. Start with five minutes. That's 15 minutes a day. I was able to keep good weight from that protocol alone while pregnant because I basically worked out 30 minutes a day. I did a 10 minute thing after every meal just to break, just to work off the meal, the sugars, the, that buildup. Which yeah. I also think that is brilliant because oftentimes we think working out needs to be intense. Yeah. But, and also what I find tricky too, oftentimes when I was still practicing acupuncture is when you talk to clients about don't go and do intense exercise if your energy, your chi is already low because then you're texting the body. So I love that you say that even if you just do five minutes after every meal, three meals a day, it builds up and it helps to move the chi to circulate the energy and helps to move the stagnation. Yeah, and it gets the heart pumping and the heart, what does the heart do? It provides, it produces blood and provides blood to move everywhere where blood is red blood cells and there's oxygen. So you're oxygenating the whole system too. And there's the endorphins that come with it. You feel good. Your brain feels a little bit more clear. So I usually try to get people to break a light sweat whenever possible. And if that's five, 10 minutes at your home, I, for me, it's difficult to do things at home as well. So I get it. That's why I try to get people to get introduced to the concept of it by really having it be a light thing. Five minutes. Aim for five minutes a day. I use an app called Fit On because they give you workouts according to time. And then you can tailor which one you want. Do you want cardio? Do you want stretching? So that w- that's a good intro <clears throat> into it. Now I know the exercises that help with providing that cardio flow so i just stick with those that's good walking is great too like walking is better than nothing as well maybe do a little brisk walk for a minute and then walk normal just to try to get the heart rate up i yeah and i love the stretching too right for people if mobility is harder for them but even stretching or doing some gentle weights that can also start to help them some of that circulation one thing I might add, so I had two C-sections, so I I was really laid out after the second one, and my chi was so deficient. The cardio workouts or anything that I did, I would just research and find how I can do that all while laying on the ground. And there wow. are there's lots out there. That's- so I just had no energy, but I knew I needed to move my blood and my chi and my circulation 
So I just tried to find a lot of those exercises on how I can get that while laying on the ground so that I wouldn't tax any more energy working out. Because the whole point of it is for it to do what it needs to do, but not tax the system even further. So we're looking at intensity, duration, and positioning. Mm -hmm. I love that. Very unique to every person. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I forgot you had two C-sections. Yeah, that was horrible. The recovery. I don't think I'm fully recovered. <laughs> we should be and do the next talk. I just went to a pelvic floor physio yesterday because I'm like, I think I need to start addressing the C-section. <laughs> and they're great. I saw oh, 2019 for a while and it was really helpful. Yeah, that's right. It's the, it's always, I always love learning from other practitioners and how they view the body and how they approach healing and try to put it all together for my brain to make sense of it all. And with the kinesiology degree, it's helpful to have that background so that I understand the language, I understand the anatomy and the physiology. And I love learning about pathologies of how the system works. So it's nice to learn a new way of looking at the body. And then how do I translate that into Chinese medicine? My dad passed away in 2017. Well, even though we've known each other for 20 years, it was only around that time that you and I really started talking about mental health. Yeah, we were young and we didn't have these big jolts in life that made us look at our mental status. And also growing up in a Chinese family. I don't know about your family, but my family, that was... Oh, it didn't exist. It didn't exist. No, depression was not a thing. You just swept it under the rug and you deal with it. Just, just or you ignore it. It's not there, right? I would say starting Chinese medicine college because they do talk about the whole, you know, mind, body, spirit. In a, in in school, that was when I started learn like really exploring my mental health status and. In general, not just my own, just how do I view the body and how do I maximize results with my clients with each treatment that they come in for. And that emotional psyche is huge in my practice. It's We don't have to talk about emotions, but I definitely use that as a major tool in terms of my treatment plan. And but I don't know whether you did this, and I did when I was practicing. I did what you did. I would consider the client's mental health, where they were and stuff, and they connected to the organs, right? Because each organ houses an emotion. Houses an emotion. But I didn't apply it to myself for many years. Uh, Did you? I didn't um, think about it. I think over the past 20 years, I... I've been in and out with counseling just for various reasons. It didn't ramp up until my dad passed away. So he passed away two years ago. And that was the first major loss. And having two young kids makes it really difficult to grieve and process that grief. And I was having a hard time doing that because I had no space or time to myself to be able to grieve. 
And so it would hit me in these weird moments where all of a sudden there'll be a trigger. It could be a song. It could be something that I saw. It could be something someone said. And then I just would start crying. And that happened for quite some time. And it was like, it was okay. I welcomed it. And I know that's what needed to be done. But I knew I wasn't dealing with it as best as I wanted to. Um, And I knew that if I were to continue with that path in grieving that a lot of inflammation would get stored in my system and that I am so sensitive in terms of um, my nervous system that I feel all of that. That's when the counseling kind of ramped up just to help put a lot of things, just to give me some tools and also just to talk to somebody about the grieving, about grieving and the law. Exactly, right? And also, what well, you say that just not having two kids, you're busy and running your practice. Oftentimes, there's no space and it's good to have someone to talk to. But And even as friends, we didn't talk about it for many years for mental no. health because we didn't have the language for it. And I am grateful that like, you and I can talk about it when we go for soups and chai tea, which is our thing. Yes. We're going to go back. <laughs> We're going to go back. Oh. Uh, uh, and I love that we talk about it as if there's no stigma attached to it. I think that's the hard part is there's still a large stigma around it. And and in my practice, I really try to make it a safe space um, with no judgment. And if there is like an emotional component that's present, we can talk about it or we don't. And that's okay. All I want, the biggest thing for me is to know how that is stuck in the system and how I can move that mm-hmm. so it doesn't create more of this inflammation that I'm talking about. And I think all of that goes somewhere. Like you've touched upon every, according to Chinese medicine, every organ houses an emotion. So with the lung, that we talked about the lung earlier, the lung houses the emotion of sadness, grief. There's a control aspect to it. Guilt is a big one. And if someone is grieving, for a long period of time, or it often feels guilty about stuff, which was my pattern and probably why I'm susceptible more to catching colds and being affected by the allergy season. I just try to work on all of it. How do I strengthen my lungs on a physiological standpoint? Exercise, eat foods that support the lungs, according to Chinese medicine. And then on the emotional front, maybe take a look at Is there anything I can't let go? Is there anything I'm feeling really guilty about? What am I grieving or am I sad about anything? And just look at it as a whole picture kind of a thing. And also that, which you you talked about it just now, is also that seeking out other practitioners to help you. Yes. To move forward. Not even move forward, but to move whatever you're feeling. So you're not having to deal with it on your own. Totally. when I, was, I still get this question sometimes, but when I was practicing, people would say to me, do you acupuncture yourself? Do you put needles in yourself? And I say, yes, when I'm desperate, but it's not the same as going to see your own practitioner and having that 60 minutes where it's just your time and you're being looked after. And so your body can do the healing. While you're there and making time for yourself. Agreed. Yeah. I didn't, it takes a village. And that, after having kids, I definitely 
own that saying. And with your health team, I'm fortunate. I have, I built my health team, including those friends that are of support too, like you. And that's part of it too. That's healing in and itself. And exactly like you say, I acupuncture myself, but it's not the same. I'll acupuncture like my knee if it hurts, but I'm not doing, I do try to set the intention every once in a while, but it's, you're right. It's not the same as fully letting go and letting someone else see you in their own eyes and treating you in terms of what they see. Cause I have, I have my image of myself of what I think is stuck, but someone else might see mm-hmm. something totally different and that's, and they're not incorrect either. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so the next thing I do want to ask you is um, because two of us are getting older. Now! <laughs> oh, I, now that I'm in it, I, and a lot of my clients who have grown with me are also in it, I realize that it is, there is not a lot of talk about it. There's not a lot of education it's not talked about there's also a little bit of a stigma i think and i think it's just not well known to the general can i say this in the sense of like working moms who for example might be in the corporate structure and they're they've got young kids and when you're going through perimenopause and menopause everyone is different everyone goes through it differently for me my brain doesn't remember those little fine details like it used to be And I can just imagine, I'm okay, I still can remember, but I remember being a lot sharper <laughs> when I was non, not in this stage. But I just think of those working in high, really high-profile jobs that have to perform, and especially if they're in a work culture where it's very male-dominant still. Is there education in and around what females go through during this period to the coworkers or to the workplace? Or uh, there isn't many, right? And on my own research, I'm like, okay, these symptoms are happening. Okay. And I know it's a hormone decline, but there's it's there's so much to it. There is, and also the and you're right. Especially for those of you in the corporate, say, workplace, there's no forgiveness. Support, so, no forgiveness. Yeah. So, so, but, but look at it, not just menopause, period. Yeah. Nobody's taught, nobody really talks about it. And I'll, my mother didn't talk about it. I don't know about yours, but my mother did not initiate when I got my period. And my mother never talked about when she was alive about menopause. Same. But look back, my sister and I can guess the years that she was went through, it. went through it because she was more moody she was angry she had hot flashes and even living in Singapore you could tell she was having hot flashes and stuff like that so our mothers didn't talk about it aunties didn't talk about it from a TCM perspective a Chinese medicine perspective any advice for those entering menopause, perimenopause? Oh, it's such a unique journey. My, two of my sisters have gone through menopause in totally different fashions, like totally different 
uh, body constitution. So their symptoms presented very differently. Like one got hot flashes and the other one got migraines. So, you know, just, and that's just the physical stuff. I, I think just recognizing that you're going through it is the first thing because things just start getting different. Like my vision started changing. I would say a couple of years ago. And because I had kids late, I couldn't tell if this was like a postpartum thing or I knew my hormones were changing, but why were they changing? Mm -hmm. Was it because I had kids late or because I was in perimenopause or all of the above? So the first thing I noticed was my eye, my vision fluctuating. And sometimes it would be okay, normal. And other times it would be like strained. And so back and forth of going to my sister, who's an optometrist. So (laughs) just, do I need new glasses? Do I not? And she was like, I think you're just like fluctuating out. Just let's just see. So I think I ended up getting new glasses and it was helpful. But then comes that vision fluctuation came a lot of headaches, which I don't ever get. Headaches is not a thing at all. So now that I am in, I would say I'm actively in perimenopause and the symptoms are now pretty consistent. So the vision, I, uh, that's better now that I have upgraded my prescription, but I do get more headaches than I used to. And that is, like I said, a new thing. I don't get any hot flashes. So not every woman going through menopause. Yeah. Them. So it is, it's definitely personal. I started getting like these the snippets or the beginning stages of frozen shoulder and that's very common yes and if you look at the research it's like women like age 45 to 54 or something like that which is menopausal years or perimenopausal years so is that a coincidence i don't think so i'm able to acupuncture my shoulders and have it within bay but that was a weird thing that doesn't and especially like my left shoulder which well, and Western, because when I was practicing, a lot of my practice was hormones, right? And fertility. And for a few years, it was women going through menopause, frozen shoulder. And then I make the link because Western medicine doesn't really talk about it. But I Nobody don't talks about it. My, no. The, the one great thing that is happening, especially in the digital age, is there's a lot more awareness around perimenopause and menopause. So mm-hmm. that's very helpful in terms of support and even education. Like one of my friend's sister-in-law started her own online presence called Alter Ego, and it's all about perimenopause mm-hmm. and menopause education support. She has naturopaths, she has dietitians, and that's that's what we don't talk about. And all of that can help with the journey. One of my clients picked up a book called The Menopause Reset. And I think there's, I haven't read it, but she just told me about it this week. And there's information in there about foods to eat in and around hormone regulation. Again, I don't know what it says in there, but the point of it is that there's a lifestyle and diet that might be conducive and helping with the symptoms that people may have. A lot of acupuncture. Actually, it was one of the clients that when you shut down your practice, she um, uh, talks about how great your treatments helped her along menopause. I actually take that information and 
think about acupuncture in a different light now that I'm going through perimenopause and I need to increase my treatments just to help this journey now. And I, if I don't want to go on hormone replacement therapy or inundate my system with a whackload of supplements, acupuncture is a really great way to approach hormone regulation. So that was very helpful information that I already know but needed to be reminded of. Yeah, another good book is The Menopause Manifesto. Have you read it? I'm halfway through it. Okay. And to be fair, a lot of the information on there, you and I already know because of our Chinese medicine education. For example, some of the advice like reduce stress, don't take on too much, don't overexercise. And you and I, when we look at it from our Chinese medicine training, that makes sense because whether it's exercise or it's working too much, being on social media, being on screen too much, all that depletes your chi. And some of the advice in the book, when I read it, I was like, okay, that makes sense because what you want to do is you want to manage your nervous system, your body, and give your body a chance to be able to deal with what's coming up, what's going to happen. And like you say, everyone is different, right? You get more headaches. My, I noticed about two years ago, was my skin. I've never had issues with skin. That's not my thing. I remember that. Yeah, I've never had issues with skin. But this book, she does talk about skin is one of the things that start changing because your hormones are different. Yeah, so. and you talk about the deficiencies. And the first thing that came to mind in terms of Chinese medicine is as we're entering menopause, we become yin deficient. And yin is responsible for all fluids in the body and blood is a fluid. And so that's exactly what menopause is, the drying up of yin. So our menses stop. We might start getting dry eyes. Like you say, the skin dries out and then we have some skin problems. So when we have a deficiency, that's exactly that gas tank. The gas tank is empty. So where do you have the fuel to be able to do this intense exercise or the to-do list is 20 feet high? We don't have the stamina to plow through that and that will just keep adding to that deficiency. So during this hormonal shift, it's this fine line of moving the chi as well as restoring it and picking what has to be done on that to-do list, which is the overload. So the overload will always be there and it does keep piling high. And that's what I consider stress. So when people talk about stress or if I ask someone in the clinic, what are your stressors? Immediately we go to this, oh, I'm not stressed or I'm not anxious. We go to this frazzled feeling that comes with it. But to me, what I mean by stress is that overload. How's your to-do list? Yeah. Have it 10 feet high. That weighs you down and stresses the system, right? Like putting a hundred bricks onto your shoulders. You're going to stress the body and therefore what comes out of it. Fatigue, chronic pain, especially of the neck and shoulders, insomnia, then you start getting maybe some gut disturbances. Those that are going through menopause might have more heat flashes or night sweats. The brain fog is real. So what we don't want to do is have those stressors on our shoulders, that to-do list, that overload compiles so much 
that you're, you know, sinking. So that's what that deficiency is a sinking feeling. It's a downward energetic flow. So with, with menopause, we're trying to keep it at baseline because there's so many shifts that are hap- that are waning in the body as is. And then once the body stabilizes with its new constitution, then we will have a bit more wiggle room to be able to build and restore or move or have longer exercises or just more stamina. Mm-hmm. And also, as most of us, by the time we go, we are going through menopause, it's also some take on the caregiver role because of aging parents. Yeah. Like you say, it might not seem stressful for some because they think it's my duty to look after my parents, but it does add on to that weight in the shoulders. And last thing I'll say before I wrap up is too, I always remind my younger clients is if you're able to, when you're younger, in your 20s and 30s, starts to build, start to build the reserve. Don't wait until it's too late. Because if you keep depleting your body as you get older, it's going to take more work to go to what you call the baseline when things start shifting. So take care of yourself when you're younger, if possible, with dietary, with lifestyle, with trying, don't do too much, don't take on too much. Be aware of light pollution, be aware of sound pollution, stuff like that. Last question for you. As a Chinese auntie, any advice? I wish I had done this when I was younger, or I wish I someone helped me along with this or brought it to my awareness. In the concept of yin, I always tell people to pick a one yin activity. So a yin activity is a very slow, calming kind of activity, like yoga. There's yin yoga and there's power yoga. It's mm. like the slow yoga. And I wish I had harnessed something like that more, or maybe more of yin activities when I was younger and to care to follow me through life. I say this because I was really active as a kid, I played a lot of sports. And I tore my ACL when I was, what, 16 or 17, 17 maybe? And that was how I let off steam and managed stress. And I couldn't walk. And I think I was like really down and I got depressed because I was, I couldn't place. I didn't have a release. And those yin activities can help move the chi in a different way that can still help with venting like how sports or exercise does so, so would you call advice to people is find build your toolbox of yin activities because if you're an active person or you use exercise as a stress relief and you hurt yourself it's really difficult to attain that release by not exercising so then you need other tools to help with moving your chi uh-huh. the same way that physical exercise does so would you say for someone who's really active, a yin activity would be like slow walking? In terms of physical exercise, it could be, like I said, the yin yoga. It could be tai chi. It could be qigong. Mm-hmm. It could be swimming if joints or injury permit. 
walking would be yin as well. Um, if, like I said, injury allows for it. Other yin activities that I often recommend to people are like if you play a musical instrument that's really yin in nature, journaling, meditating, drawing, painting, those sandboxes with the rain. Yeah. Just something to calm the nervous system down. Guided meditations, I find the easiest because you can do that anywhere. You can, as long as you could do it in the car, you could listen to it. Breathing exercises are the best. You could do that anywhere. And no one even knows you're doing it. That's what I do. What about napping? I'm not a great napper, but you like naps. Yeah, I'm an excellent napper. I wouldn't say that's a yin activity. I'm teasing. I am so teasing. I'm just teasing you because you're a great napper and I'm not. So I'm slightly jealous. Oh, yeah. I unfortunately, fortunately got born with that gene. (laughs) Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun catching up with Debbie. This week's advice from me, Yi, your Chinese auntie, is to be proactive about your health if you can. I remember my dad used to say to me, I think he was in his late 60s or 70s, one of his regrets was that he didn't look after his health when he was younger. By then, he was suffering from some health issues, heart disease, and his digestion wasn't the same. So, if possible, be proactive about your health. Get sufficient sleep, turn off your devices at night, move your body if possible, and take care of your mental, spiritual, and physical health. Have a great week. Wishing you lots of love and peace this week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Also, remember to sign up for our newsletter to receive free materials and updates. Links in the website, patriciapeterson.ca. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot C-A. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you in the next episode.